why do we have to end with that song? Can we like start with that one? It is so hard to get up here after that song. But yeah, so great to get up here after that song. Conflicted. Oh, I don't know about you, but I am chomping at the bit for one of my kids to be old enough to go to Snowbird. <laughs> I'm sitting there watching that video. I'm like, how old is Peyton? I got one or two, few more years, and I can go. I'm, I mean, that looks awesome. I want to go so bad. Uh, okay, if you would open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. We are still in chapter 1, and we are going to be looking at finishing 3 through 11. We, last time I was up here, and if you're new, what, we, what we're doing is we're, we have a team of preachers, and we are each person on the team is essentially tackling their own book. And so if you were here last week, you saw... Uh, Brian take us or begin taking us through Joshua, and then you saw First John. Before that, you saw Colossians, and then Second Corinthians. And so we're back to Second Corinthians today. And last time I was here, I focused in on verse three, and now we're going to finish three through eleven, uh, Lord willing. But what's been interesting is looking back over the last several weeks, as we've been looking through these different books of the Bible, through Colossians, Second Corinthians, First John, now Joshua. And I told you when I first started, when I opened up this, this series for us, that I was looking forward to seeing how the Spirit would thread the truth of God's Word into each and every sermon in different books of the Bible, from Old Testament to New Testament to from epistles and so on. What we've seen so far is we've seen Stephen take us through uh, Colossians in the glory of Christ. He presented Christ's glory to us, and we saw Paul wanting to point the, the people in Colossae to the glory of Christ. And then we saw the comfort we find in the glory of God's mercy found in the beginning of 2 Corinthians. And then we saw the, the fellowship we have in Christ and with one another as those who have received this truth, as those who have beheld or seen or witnessed or tasted the glory of God. There's fellowship with those who have done so. And then, of course, we have great courage and hope in the glory of God's faithfulness and his character that we saw last week in the book of Joshua. Are you, are you seeing the thread? Do you see the thread that the Spirit is weaving? I do. It's, it's all about God's glory. Every message, every ounce of scripture from Genesis to maps is all about God's glory. It's his holiness. That's what it means to have, to see God's glory is to see the holiness of God put on display. It's his holiness put on display for all to see. It is his complete otherness put on display, meaning we should understand that every aspect of God's character is other meaning his love is other, his mercy is other, his grace is other, his wrath is other, his justice is other, his entire character is unlike anything in all of creation. Apart from seeing God, you have, you have never seen love like that. Apart from seeing God in Christ, you have never seen mercy and grace like you have seen it in God because there's nothing in all of creation that can measure up to the holiness of God's character. He is completely and utterly other. 
The amazing thing is that we get to see this holiness. We get to see this holiness in a very personal way. We get to see his mercy, his faithfulness, his love revealed fully in Jesus Christ. Christ has revealed him to us. We see the love of God in Christ for us. And when we do, when you see Christ as he is, when you see the holiness of God in Christ, it will change the way you see the world. It'll change your worldview. Hey, it'll change the way you see our home. It'll change the way we see our work. It'll change the way we see our children and our neighbors. It will change the way we see our entire life. And it will especially, it will especially change how we see our trials, our sufferings, and afflictions. Namely, that it's not just about you. It's not just about you. It is and always will be about his glory. Family, house, work, job, home, children, trials, sufferings, you name it. It is for his glory. All of it. And that's my hope this morning is that we will see that and be comforted by that this morning. So let's pray. It's the only way we will see it. It's the only way we'll see more of this glory is if we go to him in prayers. So let's do that this morning as we go to his word. <sighs> Father, you are holy. And Lord, we thank you that you have put on display your mercy and grace in Christ. We thank you that you've given us eyes to see it hearts to understand it. You, oh God, have planted your word in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that you would do it again today. Lord, as we look at a very difficult passage in regards to suffering, in regards to trials and afflictions, may we see, oh God, your comfort in it. May we recognize the comfort of God in the midst of suffering and the purpose of it all. It's hard to see it, God, in our flesh. It's hard to look outside of the bubble of our own suffering or of our own trials, oh God, but help us to see the bigger picture of your glory. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you should be there by now, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Verse 3, we're going to read all the way through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective 
in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also are you sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers many. This is God's word for us this morning. May we have ears to hear it. If you're an underlining person, as you're reading that text, you're probably underlining a ton of words. And so now you see my struggle. <laughs> we had a lot to cover this morning. But if you remember, for sake of context, if you remember, Paul begins to address this church by, in verse 3, by drawing them into praise. Right? Blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is drawing them into praise God for who he is. For who he is as the Father of mercy. For who he is as the God of all comfort. He is the true Creator God, who has revealed to us that he loves to be merciful. You ever think of God that way? That he loves to be merciful? He does. That is his nature. He loves to be merciful, and he has most clearly revealed his character and his nature and his desire to be merciful to us in Jesus Christ. Remember we talked that Jesus, he is the is the embodiment of God. He was the embodiment of God's mercy. He is the full representation of God's mercy and therefore the source of our comfort. Christ is the source of our comfort. I mentioned last time that definitions matter. When we're talking about words, especially words used seven to ten times in one text, Definitions matter, specifically with how we define comfort. How we define comfort will greatly impact how we understand the rest of this passage. And if we get it wrong, then we will not understand what the Spirit has for us in this text. Really, in this entire letter, he mentions it so many times throughout this book. It is, it is essentially the message of this book is a God of comfort. God of comfort. God of strength in our weakness. It is the message of this book. So the question is, what does it mean for Jesus to be the source, the source of our comfort? What is true comfort? Well, it is not the removal of trouble. It is not the removal of trouble. It is not the smooth life. It is not the easy life as we have come to define it in our culture as I'm sure the church in Corinth defined it, in their robust, rich, lavish culture. 
Comfort is not the easy life. True comfort is defined as fellowship with God. That's where comfort's found. Comfort is found in fellowship with God, hope in his character, so that we can continue to see him as the father of mercy and the father of comfort each and every day. Not because he did something just one time, but because in his nature, this is what he continues to do every day. That is, be merciful to you. His mercies are new every morning. And so true comfort is found in the mercy of God, which is found only in Christ, revealed in Christ. The mercy of God, the holiness of his mercy displayed to us in Christ. It is the richness of his mercy, hear me, it is the riches of his mercy that we see the God of all creation is for you. You hear that? He's for you. That's your home base. That's your warm blanket. God is for you. God is for you. Christ is your home base. You see, we have to understand that you were made for him. You were made for God. You were created for him. All things are made by him, through him, and what? For him. Are you all things? Do you fit within that definition? Absolutely. You were made for God. But in your sin, in your sin and in my sin, we were separated from the one from whom we were made. We were separated from the one for whom we were made. But God, at great cost to himself, through the cross, through Christ, reconciled you back into what? Fellowship with him. That's comfort. Because you were now back in fellowship with the one for whom you were made. He didn't punish you. He punished his son instead. Why? So that we could have fellowship with the God we were created for. Union with God through Christ. Oneness with God through Christ. Hear me. We get God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We get God. This is the good news of Christ crucified. The end for which Christ suffered was so that man could once again fellowship with God and bring him glory. And the fact that we get this fellowship should thrill you. That we get to have God as for us and not against us, that should amaze you should fill you. It should fill you. and Because it, it means that the mercy and grace shown to us at the cross, it is not a one and done act. But it revealed the nature of God. He loves to be merciful. He loves to be gracious. He loves to pursue you. He loves to come after you. And he loves to save you. And he desires it. Desires that you see him as your source of comfort. Because in that he gets glory. This is our great comfort in Christ, and it is the work of the Spirit. It is the work of the Spirit, our great comforter or helper, who has filled us and points us to this truth as we get blinded by this world. 
as our flesh starts to, to lust after other things than God and try to find comfort in other things, it is the work of the Spirit to continuously point you to this truth. This is how the Spirit comforts us. And this is how Spirit-filled people receive comfort. And this is how Spirit-filled people comfort one another by pointing them to their source of true comfort. And so picking up in verse 4, we see this, it says, who comforts us? We have a good definition of the word now. Who comforts us in all our affliction. Our main point today is this, that the suffering and the comfort we have in Christ is not our own. The suffering and the comfort we have in Christ is not our own. And so the comfort we have in Christ and the suffering we have in Christ, it is not our own. So God revealed in Christ comforts us or he comes alongside us or he encourages us by drawing us into greater fellowship with him. And it says here, in all suffering, in all our affliction, So he comforts us or draws us into fellowship or greater fellowship with him in all affliction. This word affliction, it, it conveys the idea of being squeezed, pressed under difficult circumstances or conditions. The idea is that it's an oppressive state of physical, mental, social, or economic, or spiritual adversity. It's oppression. It's adverse circumstances. It's the hard life. Think, think overwhelmed. Just utterly overwhelmed or pressed in on all sides. Doesn't sound comfortable, does it? Doesn't sound very comfortable at all. But this verse is saying that God's comfort is found in all affliction. So affliction is the circumstance, but comfort is the reality. Affliction is the circumstance that we find ourselves in all the time. But God's word says comfort for those who are in Christ is the reality of what is taking place in our hearts in the affliction. Do you ever feel, do you ever feel this? Do you ever feel like life is just bearing down on you? Pressing, pressing you. Like it's just never going to stop. It may not just be one trial. It might be trial after trial after trial. It may be different ones each and every day or every other week or every month. It's something new. You ever feel like it just it will never end? You ever feel buried under the pressure to perform? Like I just got to, I've got to succeed. I've got to succeed. I've got to be better. You ever felt so sad? Sad from loss or sad from fear that you felt there was absolutely no end in sight of this sadness. Then I, I, if that is you, if you have felt these things, then I would assume you have an idea of what this word affliction means. It resonates with you. So then hear me when I say this, is that if you are in Christ... 
then the reality is that God desire is for you to feel and understand that he wants to be a fountain of comfort for you. He wants to be a fountain of comfort for you in the trial, in the sadness, in the loneliness, not in the removal of it. His comfort for you is to exist in it, not necessarily in the removal of it. You might say, well, Matt, does this apply to all suffering? I don't know, mine's pretty tough. Yes. Yes, I say this humbly. Yes, all affliction. All affliction. But you might say, Matt, I'm, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm worried. I'm frustrated. I'm overwhelmed. And I don't understand. I don't see it. I can't feel it. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't feel comforted right now. I'm lonely. I, I don't feel like God is with me at all. In fact, you know what? I think God's abandoned me. That's how I feel. I've been there. I've been there. I think everyone in this room can resonate with that feeling of hopelessness, I have felt that before, but I, I've come through it and I've recognized, I've recognized that it's always because I tend to shrink my life down to the size of my trouble and I lose sight of the big picture. Whenever I feel hopeless, it's because I have lost sight of the big picture of who God is and I begin to focus on myself. Become so self-focused. But we must understand that there is no affliction. There's no trial. There's no difficulty where God's comfort is not present and available to all who are in Christ. For the believer, there is no hardship. There is no hardship that is not perfectly designed for you to increase your fellowship with God. For the believer, there is no hardship that is not perfectly designed for your increased fellowship with God. It is perfectly designed for you. Whatever hardship you're in, it's perfectly designed to shape you, conform you into the image of Christ, and draw you into greater fellowship with him. So if you look around the room and you see people not dealing with the same suffering you're suffering, don't worry about them. It's not their trial. It's not their lesson. It's yours. And it's for you. Because he loves you. It's for me. Because he loves me. And for the believer, that's enough. Isn't it? To grow in greater conformity to Christ. To be drawn into greater fellowship with him. Isn't that, isn't that our greatest desire? In fact, it's everything. It's everything. You, and I get it. You, you may not like the season you're in. You're, you're allowed not to like it. It may be filled with tears, and rightfully so. But for the believer, for those who have tasted the mercy of God in Christ, 
Like you, you've tasted the mercy of God and you can't, you can't fathom tasting anything else because nothing else tastes as good as the richness of the mercy of God and you've tasted it in Christ. Those that have tasted true fellowship with God in Christ, there is nothing that can take away the hope of the God of your salvation. No one can tell me he's not good. I've been through suffering. I've been through trial. There's more to come. And no one can tell me that God is not good. No one can tell me, look at Christ and say he's not for you. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I've tasted the mercy of God. I've tasted the sweet mercy and love of God. And there's nothing that can happen in my life that will take that away. But... It doesn't mean there's not tears and heartache. But through the tears, hear me, through the tears, through the heartache, those who have tasted his mercy, they will preach to themselves, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. We'll preach to ourselves, God is good. God is good. He's working in this. He's working in this. It's not a waste. I'm weak is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to see that he is strong. And I know this is for me because I know he is for me. He didn't have to prove it again. I can look at Christ at any moment of my life and recognize he's for me. He's for me. I can forget it. I can forget it and only begin to focus on myself, but then the Spirit reveals Christ to me. I'm like, no, he's for me. He's for me. And that's all I need in that moment. It's only when we focus on ourselves rather than God that we forget the comfort of God available to us in the gospel. The good news of Christ crucified for you. We are so prone to self-dependency We're so prone to self-reliance. We're so prone to self-indulgence. So God, in his infinite wisdom, allows hardships in our life so that, as verse 9 says in this text, we would learn to trust not in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. God who has the power to raise the dead, who certainly has the power to help you and comfort you in your affliction. So if you can resonate with what I'm saying and you are struggling, and you're hurting, and there's life is bearing down, and you're feeling the weight of affliction in your life, I will encourage you with the way friends encourage me. Keep running to Jesus. Just keep running to Jesus. He's your home base. He's your tower in the storm. He's the embodiment of God's mercy. He's the source of your comfort. And in this, when you run to him as comfort, you give him glory as the source of your comfort, not things. Hear me? I mean, where else will we go? He has the words of eternal life. Where else will we go? And so God allows these things in our life to draw us into Christ as our only true comfort, which is the most loving thing he can do. 
But today's text tells us that it's not the end of its purpose. That's not the end goal of your affliction. Your comfort and your sanctification and your greater fellowship with God are not the end of the purpose of your trial. Look at the so that of verse 4. So that. We say this a lot. So that are so important. They give purpose. They give meaning. They give sustenance to what was just said. He comforts us in our afflictions. Why? So that. We will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It continues in verse 5 through 7 to kind of just pull the thread of that, that verse. He continues to say, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Verse 4 through 7 shows us that there is a deeper, more eternal purpose to your trial, and it goes far beyond you. It will have a ripple effect for generation after generation after generation. Your trial and the comfort you receive in it as you are drawn into greater fellowship with Christ and share that with others will have a ripple effect for generation after generation after generation. The purpose of your suffering and your trial goes far beyond you. Yes, the trial was for you. And the comfort of greater fellowship with God is for you, but it was never meant to be just for you. It was never meant to be just for you. It was meant for the body of Christ. For the fellow believers here in this room. For the fellow believers all over the world. It was meant for the body of Christ. It was meant to flow. The comfort of God was meant to flow from God down to you and inward, outward to one another. Meaning that as some experience affliction in this life, and then we taste the mercy of God, we can then be a parakletos. That's the word of comfort. Paraclete is the word for the Holy Spirit, if you remember last time. We can be spirit-filled parakletos, or helpers, or comforters, or pointers to the true comfort found only in Christ for one another. Now, this means that the gospel is our message of hope for one another. This means that Christ is the message of our comfort for one another. Now, does this mean that if you see a brother or sister hurting, that we should probably just call them up and like take them through the Roman road? Let's just open up our Bible. Let's, okay, I know you're crying. Can you just hold on for a second? Let me get to Romans chapter 3. Let me just do a quick Bible study with you. Or, or do you break out your pulpit and preach at him? Like, just believe the gospel. Come on, get with it. No. No, but we remind them. We remind them that they're not alone in the suffering. You're not alone in the suffering. And sometimes that means just being there with them. 
You know, sometimes it just means just being there. Sometimes it just means just sitting with them while they kind of just process their heart out loud. And as they look at your steadfast confidence in Christ, they are comforted. They will see your steadfast confidence in Christ in their affliction and find comfort. Sometimes it means just being there. But it always means encouraging them. That's again what that word parakletos means. It means to encourage or come alongside or comfort. And so we come alongside them to encourage them to keep running after Jesus. To keep pursuing Jesus. Keep seeking him. Keep praying. I know it's hard. I know you're struggling. But keep reading. Keep praying. Keep trusting. And you, you're telling them this because you know that in him is revealed just how loved they are. If they would just keep pursuing Christ through the pain, through the suffering, they would see just how loved they are in Christ. And you know that because you've experienced it yourself. You would know that they would experience that no matter what circumstance they're in. And in him, they would also see the purpose of their suffering, just like you have. It's not revealed in your fancy words. It's revealed in Christ. So you just keep pushing them to Christ. Keep running after Christ. Keep chasing Christ. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep reading. Where else will you go? Just run after Jesus. Because you know in him he'll find true comfort in God. And then in that they will maybe share that with others. What I love about this section of scripture is that within this purpose of suffering, we find comfort from God, greater fellowship with God, but we also find fellowship with one another. Unity. Unity with one another. Oneness, fellowship with one another, and with Christ in his suffering and ours. There's unity with one another. And so our sub-point today is that in Christ... In Christ, we are one in our affliction and our comfort. In Christ, we are one in our affliction and our comfort. Look at verse 5. It says this. Paul says, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours, or to us, in abundance, so also our comfort abundant is abundant through Christ. And so Paul begins taking from verse 4, he begins to basically verses 5 through 7 paint a picture, paint a picture of what he's talking about. He gives himself as a first example. He's giving a personal testimony of him sharing in the suffering of Christ, sharing in the comfort of Christ. And then he continues to say that if he is afflicted, it's purposeful. He recognizes that, the, that God is not just seeing, oh no, Paul's afflicted, I need to fix this. No, the affliction has a purpose. Its purpose is in conforming them. It's in, conf in, conf I'm sorry, in comforting them and encouraging them to look at Christ as he has. He says, if I'm afflicted, it's for you. And, if I'm, and it's for your comfort. And it's for your salvation. And if I'm comforted, guess what? That's also for you. So I'm afflicted for you, I'm comforted for you, so that you can share in my comfort in order to help you, what? Endure. And so as we share in our sufferings and we share in our comfort, 
it creates an endurance unto salvation. It is the perseverance that the Spirit works in and through the body of Christ to give us endurance to the end and to glory. And the endurance is needed because he says that they will endure the same sufferings, the same sufferings of Christ that Paul suffers. And so Paul sees his affliction and comfort as purposeful in helping the body of Christ persevere in the same affliction. He sees his suffering as helping the body remain faithful to Christ. What a view of your suffering! What an outward view of your suffering! rather than the inward view. The work of the Spirit in him and in them, through it all, works to keep them firmly gripped in God's hands. Isn't that amazing? This is the work of the Spirit in the body of Christ, to create a unity and a fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. As we all share in the sufferings of Christ, we fellowship with one another. And as we all fellowship in the comfort of Christ, we fellowship with one another. And as we do that, we encourage one another to endure all the way to salvation. So as Christ's sufferings are mine, and Christ's comfort is mine, so also then it is for you and yours for me. It is God's great design that we as a body would experience the sufferings of Christ and the comfort of Christ together, unified in it. We fellowship with Christ in his sufferings together and therefore in his comfort together. In fact, this is what Jesus prayed for in John 17 in his high priestly prayer, isn't it? John 17 verse 20 says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, meaning his, his apostles, but, but for those who also will believe in me through the word. That's you. Jesus prayed for you 2,000 years ago. And he says this, he says, praying that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. To be one with Christ is to share in his suffering and his comfort. The question is, I'm sure you're asking this, I know I was as I was reading this, is, how do we fellowship with Christ in his sufferings? I mean, does that mean, like, clearly I'm not suffering for the sins of the people? How do we share in the sufferings of Christ? How is the sufferings of Christ ours in abundance and therefore his comfort abundant to us? This does not necessarily mean affliction that comes from missions work or persecution as a Christian, though it certainly can mean that. And it is actually the context which Paul is speaking of his suffering. His suffering is mission work. He's suffering as a Christian. And it is the context that some of us may need to be praying through in regards to the Great Commission. Am I willing to step into that kind of suffering for the sake of the gospel? But Paul's greater context over the whole uh, chapter is all affliction that we get from verse 4. Not just suffering for mission's sake or just for being a Christian. But all affliction like he said in verse 4. And so to fellowship with Christ in his suffering, or to fellowship with Christ's suffering, is to suffer for the same purpose he suffered. 
with the same intentions, with the same mindset, with the same goals. Christ suffered for God's glory and your ultimate comfort, your salvation. Christ suffered for the glory of God and man's ultimate comfort, being fellowship with God and greater fellowship with God and salvation. And so we share in his sufferings. We join him in his sufferings when we see all affliction, big or small, as for God's glory and the comfort of one another. That's how you share in Christ's afflictions. It doesn't matter if it's cancer or miscarriages or job loss or houses lost, money lost, Spouses lost, children lost, trouble at home, trouble at work, hard marriages, hard bosses, or entering into what you know will be hard for the sake of God's glory. Either way, all affliction is for Christ into the degree that you see it as an opportunity to magnify his worth. Every affliction. Your affliction for Christ is abundant in so much as you see it as for his glory. And your comfort, the measure of your comfort follows directly by that. God's desire is that we would see the mercy of God in Christ as more satisfying than whatever it is we're mourning right now. What are you mourning what are you heartbroken over? What are you afraid to lose? It is God's desire that you would find the mercy of God found in Christ as more satisfying than whatever it is you are mourning over right now. That is his desire for you because he loves you. And he, as we just sang, is worthy of it. It's not a Ponzi scheme. He is absolutely worthy of your satisfaction and affection, and, and to find comfort in him. And when others see God as your source of joy and comfort, even in the midst of great loss, when they see that God is your salvation, God is your comfort, God is your hope, and then they wonder, man, this God must be great. And that brings him glory. And when you share your view of God's comfort found in Christ with one another, you comfort one another. I mean, what a perspective to have on the trials of your life. They exist as an opportunity to glorify God in all your sufferings as you're all in all. And they produce unity in the body and, they, and it's designed to help us comfort one another. What a view on your affliction. We have to get our minds out of ourselves, off of ourselves, and on to the greater purpose for which you exist, and it's for God's glory and the comfort, ultimate comfort of others. Verses 8 through 11, Paul brings it all full circle by giving us a living example of this entire text. He says, this, this isn't theory to me, Paul says. This is, I have lived this. I have lived this suffering and this comfort. He brings to full circle this entire text and he shares his affliction in Asia. He shares that he was burdened beyond his strength. You ever said that God won't give me more than I can handle? It says here, beyond our strength. God will give you way more than you can handle so that you can depend on him. 
He shared the, Paul shared that in his distress, he learned to hope in God and not himself. He learned to hope in God and not himself. He learned to trust in the God who delivers him from so great a peril of death and will deliver him. He learned that a better understanding that in the trial that God was for him and as long as God was for him, he was immortal until God decided to bring him home. And his life was dedicated to Christ. And to carry the example further, Paul brings in the solidarity he had with this body as he mentions the encouragement and comfort he received from their prayers. We could have a whole sermon just on that verse. Prayer is one of the very ways we comfort one another. You, you can't help anyone see the glory of God in Christ apart from the Spirit. So we pray. We pray. We don't just tell others to run to Jesus. We run to Jesus for one another. Final encouragement for you today. Three things. They're quick. Three things. Number one, number one is embrace. Embrace. Meaning embrace that which is hard in your life as meaningful. Meaningful. I don't care how small or insignificant it may seem or how huge and insurmountable it may feel or how pointless it may feel. It isn't meaningless. It is not meaningless. I don't care if your trip to church today was hard. That was for a purpose. All of it is for a great and eternal purpose. Embrace all of it as meaningful. It unites you with Christ and his sufferings when you do that. And it, uh, and it unites you with the body who also struggles. Embrace what God has for you in this life to draw you into greater fellowship with him, to do what you were created to do, namely bring him glory, magnify his worth, to magnify the value of Christ as your source of hope and comfort. Number two, Seek. Number two, seek. There are many who have experienced trials within our body who can speak into your life. There are many who have experienced the comfort of God in these sufferings who can speak into your life. And so if you're struggling and you are having a hard time seeing the comfort of God, you can't really fathom the idea of embracing it as for you, seek others in the body who can speak truth to you. And come, will come alongside you in your storm. I know many. I know many who are ready and willing to do so. I know because I've sought them myself and I've experienced their comfort myself. Much of this happens on Wednesday nights as you share your struggle and your sufferings with the body around a table, around the word of God. Don't avoid opportunities to gather together with the body and share your struggles and allow us to pour into you the comfort of God. Number three, number three, look. Look. 
Look to others who need the comfort of Christ that he has revealed to you. Look around the body. Look to those in this body as well as those in parts of the world who are hurting and are in need of the, and are desperate need of God's comfort. Look means take the eyes off of ourself. Come on, we can, we can do this in God's power and in the spirit of Christ, we can take the eyes off of ourselves and look to those around us who need the comfort of Christ that you have in abundance, that you have received in abundance. It is unfathomable that anyone would behold the mercy of God in Christ and keep it to themselves. It is utterly unfathomable. How can anyone who has received mercy and comfort not keep it or keep it to themselves? How can we not want to share it with everyone around us? So I encourage you to look. Look, get the eyes off of yourself and look to go from comforted to comforter for one another. God is calling you to this ministry. All of you, 100% of the people in this room are called to the ministry of sharing the comfort of God. Every single person is called. Some of you to your neighbor, some to the body here, your brothers and sisters here, and some of you are called to go into all the world and share the comfort of God with those who need it. My encouragement to you is to not ignore his calling, but look and see where God is calling you to go and share his comfort. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Amen. Let's pray.